Principal Matters Podcast, Episode 127. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast. Each week, I bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, I'm going to talk about social emotional learning in your leadership with my guest, Tamara Fike. In just a moment, when I transition to the interview with Tamara, I want to just encourage you to listen closely for how our conversations about social emotional learning can apply to whatever level you're serving or whatever organization that you're serving. And then at the very end of the conversation, I'm going to end the podcast like we normally do. But if you'd like to listen to some bonus conversation, I'm going to add some bonus talk by just letting you hear what happens when I just let the recorder play after an interview's over, because sometimes the best golden nuggets happen during that conversation. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Tamara Fike. And I hope that if you find this helpful, that you'll pass it on to others who can learn from these resources too. You can find all of my free resources for school leaders at my website at williamdparker.com. If you'd like to check out my books, Principal Matters or Messaging Matters, you can find them there or at amazon.com. Also, just a quick heads up, if you are hosting events for 1819 or 1920, I am available for presentations and keynotes on a limited basis, so feel free to reach out to me at my email address at will at williamdparker.com. I hope you're having a great week, and thanks for doing what matters. Tamara is an educator and creative entrepreneur with a passion for kids, families, and urban communities, and she's the creator, author, and brand manager for Love in a Big World, which equips K-8 educators with social-emotional learning curriculum that is both research-based and practical, and it provides the supporting resources necessary to empower students to be socially competent, emotionally healthy problem solvers who discover and maintain a sense of purpose and make a positive difference in the world. She is the editor of Building People, Social and Emotional Learning for Kids, Schools, and Communities, a book that brings 12 wide-ranging perspectives on social-emotional learning to educators, parents, and leaders. I am so excited to have this conversation with you today because one of the main conversations I've been hearing education leaders, not just in my state in Oklahoma, but across the nation talking about is the word trauma. And I know that social-emotional learning is a huge part of your wheelhouse. And so I just want to start by asking you, why have you chosen to invest in this field? Why is social emotional learning the area that you feel is such an important area of content for educators to understand? Well, to answer that question, I have to go back to the beginning. It all started with the work that I did as a substitute teacher in Metro Nashville Public Schools right after my undergraduate work. And I volunteered as a substitute to work in urban schools in our community. So my, the schools that I went to the most were those that were adjacent to public housing. And so it was not uncommon for me to have conversations with my kids at the end of the day and have them say things like, well, you know, I don't really know what's going to happen when I go home. There was a shooting last night. My dad's in jail. 
it'd be a miracle if I live past the age of 21. Mm-hmm. The, those were the kinds of things that they talked about on a regular basis. And what I learned pretty quickly at that time was that music was a key to opening up the conversation with them. So we spent a lot of time just singing songs from the radio and talking about life, what was going on in their world, what they saw happening in the world around them. And what I noticed was when I made that connection with them, that then they were open to direction and guidance. But I first had to build that relationship so that they knew they could trust me. Those early days doing that work in both the school setting and then again in a public housing community, community organization, just led me to devote my career to working with kids who basically were living in trauma, even though we didn't identify it as such at the time. That's really what was happening. And then recognizing the great need that kids have, not only in urban communities, but in rural communities and suburban communities, because trauma impacts all of us in one degree or another. So that was really the impetus for this work. So as you've spent the last several years working with students and also training educators in social emotional learning. What are some pieces of counsel or advice that you would give to specifically education leaders, those who are in charge of school-wide efforts, principals, directors? What do you want them to know about that kind of work when it comes to their own instructional leadership? There's a couple different things. One is that the principal himself or herself has to lead the initiative at the school level. I was involved with the research project from 2003 to 2007 with Vanderbilt and the U.S. Department of Education. And we were looking at how the program that I work with, as well as about eight other programs, um, were implemented and, and the fidelity of implementation and then the impact on the school community. About two and a half years into that five-year project, I've discovered that it doesn't matter how good a program is, if there's not strong principal leadership, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. So first and foremost, I would say as an administrator, you have to decide if you're going to commit to this work. And it is work. And then do what you must do in order to have teacher buy-in. Because that's the second mm-hmm. big takeaway from that project for me was if teachers don't buy into the initiative, then again, it won't work. So having those two key elements, strong principal leadership and teacher buy-in are imperative for social emotional learning to be effective in the school building. And then I would say, secondly, developing a common language is key. A common language for all stakeholders, not just the administrators and the teachers, but also the students and the families any other service providers who are coming into the school community to make sure everybody's on the same page and everybody has common expectations. So let me walk with you, Tamara, into one of the schools that you've worked with. Take me into that setting and talk to me about how you work with teachers, educators, to train them in how to understand students at a deeper level and then how to develop curriculum or plans around this whole idea of reaching kids at that level. So there's a couple different phases to that, and it really depends on what the school wants to do. So I'll walk you through more of a comprehensive approach. Sure. Um, It would be coming alongside the principal and or school counselor to look at what the needs are of the school, like having the population data, understanding the demographics, the setting, understanding more about the the school makeup itself, including faculty Mm -hmm. and staff. 
And then having a professional development time in that the time of that varies depending on schedules. So of course, the longer time that we can have, the better because we can be more in depth and there can be more understanding and comprehension. But in that professional development setting, looking at, okay, this is what social emotional learning is. This is what trauma is. Unpacking ACEs, the adverse childhood experiences conversation a bit. And then looking at the resiliency research from a positive youth development standpoint, mm-hmm. looking at Hawkins and Catalano and their seminal research from back in the 90s. How does that come to play? What is most important? And they really focus on creating a caring, nurturing environment or focus on relationships. Mm-hmm. Secondly, high expectations. And then the third is meaningful engagement. So unpacking that a bit more and then actually walking through the integration. So how do you integrate SEL, social emotional learning into your practice? Well, that happens both through content and being explicit with the content, which relates back to what I said about a common language. And then also looking at practices and common practices that can be used such as project-based learning, collaborative learning, service learning, all sorts of things that get kids involved together in making meaning in their education. And then also being mindful of the fact that we need to give kids time for rest and for play and making sure that rest is focused rest. So it's not just like lay your head down on on the desk and take a nap, but is how can you reflect? I mean, Dewey said that we learn the most by reflecting on our experiences. So how do we provide those opportunities for kids to reflect on what they're learning? And then also play by Gotsky taught us all about the importance of play. And I think that's one of the things that we've lost, particularly in the last 15 years. Mm -hmm. We've thought, oh, that's not important or that's only for preschoolers, but elementary and middle schoolers, they need play too. And games become a microcosm of the real world and it gives them an opportunity to kind of work out these social and emotional lessons. Mm. Let's back up a little bit. I want to unpack some of the things that you just said because you talked about three specific uh, levels, the last being meaningful engagement, but talk to me about those, all three of those again, because I want to, I'm taking notes, but I also want, I want to slow down a little bit and just have you mention those again and talk to me about why each of those is important. So that, those three things that I mentioned, those three points come from Hawkins and Catalano Mm -hmm. and their seminal research from back in the nineties. And so they said that in order to help move kids from risk to resiliency Mm -hmm. and resiliency being defined as the ability to, to bounce back despite adversity, it's important to provide a caring and nurturing environment to Mm -hmm. them, high expectations and meaningful engagement. So the caring, nurturing environment it includes a lot. I mean, the, the primary focus would be on relationships and building positive relationships with caring adults. But it also includes things like making sure that the environment of the school is warm and welcoming, that there are posters on the wall, that the paint is fresh, the colors are inviting, that the furniture in the front office is homey, that the staff members in the front office are, are greeting people as they come into the building, that there are smiles on the teacher's faces, that, that the kids know that they are seen and known and valued when they walk into that school building. So that all of that together creates a caring and nurturing environment. Excellent. Now let's move into high expectations. What are some of the takeaways that you would encourage educators to think about there? 
so there's two that I would focus on. One is the high expectations related to that common language that I talked about. Mm-hmm. So with the work that I do with Living in Big World, we have 24 different character traits that are defined in kid-friendly language. And those can really be behavioral expectations with we expect you to be honest. Honesty is speaking and acting truthfully. We expect you to be kind, treat others the way that you want to be treated. We expect you to be courteous, to think of others first and mind your manners. And then providing explicit examples to kids about this is what this behavior looks like in particular settings. This is what it looks like to be responsible in the classroom. This is what it looks like to be cooperative on the playground. This is what it looks like to be patient when you're walking in the hallway or you're standing at the water fountain. So just breaking it down and making sure that there's no guesswork and getting kids' ideas on it too. But again, it's imperative that we have that conversation. So that helps set behavior expectations. And then of course, there's the academic expectations Mm -hmm. and letting kids know we expect you to succeed and we will do everything we can to help you succeed, but you're the one who's going to have to put in the work. And we're here to build you up. And then let's talk about meaningful engagement. So meaningful engagement. I love this part. Um, So this morning I was teaching a community group here in town. And we've all been in these situations for professional development where the speaker gets up and it's like click through the PowerPoint. And you just read the PowerPoint and you, you don't really need a speaker there. Um, that's not meaningful engagement and not for professional development and not for kids in a classroom, but meaningful engagement looks like hands on practical application of what you're learning. Mm -hmm. So again, that harkens back to project-based learning. And I was telling folks this morning, the thing is that education has changed dramatically over the past 10 to 20 years, as you know but particularly with the onset of the internet and social media. Mm -hmm. So with the internet, kids don't have to memorize everything like they used to. They can get the answers, but what they need to do is find out how to take that information and create new meaning or solve problems. Mm -hmm. And then with with social media, that's given all of us more of a voice than we've ever had before. So kids also feel entitled to that voice in the classroom. So how do we make space for them? How do we give give ear to the voices that they have? Because they really do have a lot of good ideas. So that is, it's a flipped classroom model and really making space for that and a lot, lots of teamwork. But having them engage in rather than just sitting there as consumers. So they're active in their learning. They're active in their own expressions. They're active in the... Uh activities and lessons that are happening. So I'm just going to summarize those three areas. So caring and nurturing environments, high expectations and meaningful engagement. And in so many of the conversations that I hear about trauma and trying to respond and understand how to work with students in trauma or even adults in trauma, because sometimes we have those situations in our schools too. Often in those conversations, what I'm hearing are two options for students when they're triggered in traumatic situations, and you've heard these before, but typically in your most traumatic situations, kids tend to either fight or flight. They're going to, whenever something's triggered, they're either going to resist by by aggression or they're going to try to just escape um, that setting. And so it's important for educators to understand those dynamics that are happening when they're working with kids 
to give them space, to give them an opportunity to de-escalate, to give you as an adult an opportunity to maybe assess what's happening before you assume too much. And and I believe all of that mindset is super important when it comes to understanding how to how to nurture kids and how how to give them high expectations and how to manage their those um their engagement. But the one thing that I've I'm really encouraged about what what you're saying is I feel like there's a third option that we don't often talk about when I'm hearing present conversations about trauma or maybe I'm just not listening deeply enough, but that's resilience. And and that's why I'm excited about the work that you're doing because you recognize that kids are in trauma. You recognize the difficulties that they face in, in hard environments, but you don't stop there. It's not simply just an awareness. It's also an informed practice. And so, um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that as well, but I, I'm really pleased that resilience is kind of the solution-based approach to yes. how do you deal with kids that are in these settings. I do. I do, Will. And I, I think one of the things that you're identifying is the difference between prevention and intervention approaches. Mm, okay. So a lot of the intervention approaches that you're talking about with the de-escalization, peace corners, belly breathing, all of that is when, when a child is triggered. Mm-hmm. How do you bring them back down? How do you keep the, the child and the other classmates and the teacher safe when they're explosive? But there's a preventative approach to that as well. And, and that's what I'm really focused on is how do, we, how do we put those measures in place so that we mitigate those explosive experiences that we've all seen with kids, whether there are kids in our home or kids in the classroom. And really the key to that is building relationships. And I was just, um, I've been working on a white paper today (laughs) and uh, reviewing some of the research that is foundational for the work that I do. And I came across a paper by one of my colleagues, Dr. Maury Nation from Vanderbilt University. Mm. And he points out again in this, this paper about the principles of effectiveness that it's one adult invested in the life of a child that really makes a difference. Mm. So to me, that speaks volumes about the value of relationships. And whether it's a teacher, a parent, a big brother, big sister, an aunt, an uncle, a mentor, a coach. And when the child knows that he or she is anchored to that caring adult, that really helps to mitigate some of these other risks. And so there's other research too that shows particularly like in middle school, when kids are going through so much turmoil just with that that phase of growth and development, that they need to be anchored. And so whether it's through advisory period or morning meeting, even a hallway conversation on a regular basis with, with their homeroom teacher or another teacher that they really connect with, that can anchor them through the difficulties that they might be experiencing through adolescence. I'm going to come back to a question that I asked earlier tomorrow because I, I want to move from the conversation of practice to stories of kids that you've worked with or stories of educators that you've worked with. I know you've got stories. So uh, think about an example that you'd like to share of how a love in a big world is uh, is helping change the lives of kids. So you asked me that question and there's two different types of stories. So mm-hmm. one would be hands-on when I've been with kids myself mm-hmm. or my team has been with the kids. Mm-hmm. And the other would be stories that I hear back because as a curriculum developer my and supporter of, edu- of other educators, my job is to provide the tools or the content to help fill in some of the gaps that they have. 
So I'll start with the story from Letitia in Houston. She works with a bunch of girls who are known as the high flyers, the girls that are really troubled. And um, she instituted an after-school program just for the girls using the Love in a Big World curriculum. And we were having regular calls and she would just say, the girls love this mm-hmm. because they're, they come to a place that's just for them. We're talking about issues that matter and they're relevant to what's going on in their world. The curriculum is hands-on. So it's using stories and journaling and arts and crafts activities and research. And she's just drama. So she's just saying, you know, the whole experience for these girls is they just can't get enough. And at that time, she was just running it for a semester. And um, they were already like, when can we do this again? We want to come back. So that was really great. So what I, what I was hearing from her was not only was it something like the content was effective for communicating the message, but it was also effective in bridging the relationship between Letitia and her girls, her students, which was really encouraging. This summer, I this would be another take on Love in a Big World because I just carry it with me everywhere I go. Like it's just in me. But I was leading a summer camp experience for kids here in Nashville in a housing community here in town, public housing community. And um, I had kids of all ages from like pre-K all the way up to about seventh or eighth grade. And on the final um, session, during the final session, one of the boys was standing around a table and he was working on an art project. And, and um, well, I was just asking him about what he was doing. He's like, he was telling me about it. And he goes, you're all right. I was like, oh, okay. And it was just in that little moment. I mean, you know, he's like a 13 year old boy. Mm-hmm. And for him to acknowledge like, you're cool people. <laughs> it was just like, he knew that I was a, an advocate for him. And, and I knew that even though we had spent a short time together, that I had gained his trust and he would listen to what I have to say. So that was incredibly encouraging to me to know that, that, that even after all these years, that's still what kids need. They need to know that they have a safe place with an adult that they can trust. And when they, when they know that, then that gives them more confidence to face whatever's going on in the world. Well, Tamara Fike is doing amazing work in her love in a big world curriculum, connecting with schools, connecting with students. And Tamara, I just want to wish you the best as you continue to connect with educators. I wanted to connect you with Principal Matters listeners because I know that a lot of the school leaders who I connect with are interested not only in instructional leadership, but also in connecting their communities with strong culture, with teaching their students to be resilient, uh, and then also finding resources for how to uh, provide their teachers, whether those are teachers as advisors or their counselors, or even in small groups or in school assemblies, ways for for kids to engage um, in growing as um, members of that community, not just as students in that community. So how can people stay connected with you? Where can they find your resources? And if they would like to invite you to their school, how can they do that? Great question. Thank you, first of all, for having me. It's been so much fun. You can find out more at loveinabigworld.org or you can even email me, Tamara, at loveinabigworld.org and we'll get in touch. We do offer all sorts of curriculum. There's music, posters, there's professional development, school assemblies for the students. So 
all sorts of ways that we could be a resource and a support to you with what you're doing for social and emotional learning, building your climate and culture. Well, thank you, Tamara. Any closing thoughts before we go? I would. I have spent the last seven weeks um, traveling the country, talking to principals as part of a project with the National Science Foundation. And I would say um, I am overwhelmed with the the dedication of principals and teachers, particularly at this time in our country's history. Our kids, one of the principals told me the statistics that she heard was that about one in three children are experiencing trauma every day. And I know from other research that I've done, it's one in four kids are going hungry in our country every day. Mm-hmm. And those are the kids who are walking through the doors of our schools. And I am just incredibly grateful and humbled by the incredible work that our educators are doing, fighting for the lives of our kids. Mm-hmm. And so any way that I can be a support and a help and encouragement, really, I mean, that's one of the, one of the ways that I view the work that I do is just to be that encouragement to, to you all who are on the front lines, the boots on the ground, and um, just saying, you know, you're doing good work. Don't grow weary of, of doing that good work. So thank you for what you do. Well, thank you for those words. And Principal Matters listeners, I know that you uh, will resonate with what Tamara is saying because I know that you're passionate about loving your kids. Uh, you're passionate about providing a safe place for them to learn. Mm-hmm. And uh, the work that you do is so important. That's why what you do matters. So Tamara, thank you so much for giving us some time in your day. And thank you for the work that you're doing in Tennessee, but also around the nation. And I uh, can't wait to hear more and uh, looking forward to staying connected. Great. Thank you. All right, I always keep the mic going uh, in case there's anything like golden that we end up talking about. Yeah. Because that happens every time I have it. Does it? Yeah, Yeah. I'm like, wait, I wanted to have the record button still going. That was great. I loved that because it was both uh, instructional and I was glad I came back to the illustration questions because it was really Mm -hmm. great to hear some of those success stories. And it was really great for you to touch a little bit on um, not just the content, but also the work you're doing outside too. So good stuff. I don't want to sound like um, condescending by saying I'm proud of you, but I'm proud of you. Um, I'm really happy for the work that you're doing. So thank you, Will. That means a lot. Um, really does. Yesterday, I was having a conversation with um, a veteran principal. We 22 principals and, and I had gotten together for a meeting yesterday, and everyone was sharing what they had done to welcome students back for the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. And it was just wonderful because these were all secondary principals, middle level, high school, and just the the creative, fun, passionate things that they do to love on kids. Um, It was so encouraging. And I was talking to one of them afterwards. She's a veteran principal who's been doing this work for about 13 years. And she just told me, she said, well, I've never had a year as good as this one because we just made such a new commitment to being willing to be weird, to have fun, (laughs) to, to, to focus on, instead of, nitpicking behavior to focus on how excited we are that they're there so that no matter, even if we have to do behavioral corrections or discipline, we want them to know first how much we care about them and that we're there. And and I told her, I said, I have, I've really begun to think, and I know, I know principals think this, but I don't know if they always voice it this way, but I think there's something meaningful that happens when school 
leaders and and teachers just decide that they're not going to compromise their curriculum. They're not going to compromise their expectations, but they're going to just love their kids. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think when people just commit to um, give themselves permission to love their students, uh, then they switch from Mm -hmm. not just being an education, a place of education, but they become a community for kids and families. And that's what we need. And you're seeing that as you travel. Absolutely. Um, And I know that, um, that that's why I think the work you're doing is so important. Well, thank you. That reminds me, you saying that reminds me of, I had a conversation with a pastor here in town probably about a year ago. And he said, you know, it used to be that the church was the center of the community, but that's not how it is anymore. The school is really the center of the community. Mm-hmm. And in so being principals then have a greater responsibility, I think, as community leaders. Yeah. And and the school becomes a lighthouse or and a and a refuge um, for so many families. And and as I've been having these conversations with principals, they're talking about the fact that some of them have food pantries, they have clothing closets, they've got washers and dryers in the building. I mean, they're they're there to really fill the gap that maybe mom and dad can't because of, you know, working two or three jobs or, you know, whatever the situation may be. And so I think you're right. When we, when we step up and see, you know, we're here to love kids, no matter what, it makes a difference. Yeah. That's a really good point. And that's one of the reasons, and, and I'm a advocate of any kinds of schools that are loving kids, whether it's mm-hmm. private, private or charter or whatever, but as a public school guy, it's one of the reasons why I so often try to remind people of how important it is to support their local schools because in so many communities, that local school is, like you said, it's the hub. It's, it's mm-hmm. the place where that community gathers. It's mm-hmm. the place of, it's the identity of that community often. And that's why I also think principals um, are really wise to connect with other community organizations, with other faith uh, organizations, mm-hmm. uh, and, and not, not to be afraid to allow pastors and youth pastors to be partners with their schools because right. they're they're in the community in another way that they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same thing that you see in urban centers where policemen and pastors and and community workers partner together when they're doing drive-throughs or they're or they're walking communities um, because that that partnership together we, we're serving all the same families. Absolutely. Um, and, and when we invest um, together in serving our communities, it just lifts everybody up. And so mm-hmm. it's encouraging. When I listen to the news, I can get really discouraged at all of the um, the rhetoric and the some the, often the the mean things that are being said, the um, the bias that we so often hear in mm-hmm. from politicians. But when I walk into schools. I see places of community and belonging. I see people that are passionate about loving kids. It's a place where everybody um, can be can be loved and accepted. And it's not utopia. You and I both no, know there's no, places right. where kids and teachers and communities where people still don't feel safe or they don't feel belong like they belong. But I think we're on a mission, and that mission is that, that more and more and more schools become places of strong instruction and strong belonging. So that's why your work is important. Well, thank you. 